Welcome to Popcorn and Soda, starring Talal, a motion picture podcast, movies, pop culture, interviews, and reviews. Popcorn and Soda is brought to you by ByTalal.com. Visit at ByTalal and at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram. Download and stream on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on all your podcast listening platforms. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we are joined by a very special guest. He is the director of Willy's Wonderland, starring Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage, which is now available on video on demand. On the show today, Mr. Kevin Lewis. How are you, Kevin? Great. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much for coming to hang out on the show today. Before we really deep dive into Willie's Wonderland, I really want the audience to get to know Kevin Lewis, the man. I'm so fascinated by your story. Where did this all begin? What were some of your early influences and what made you want to be a filmmaker? Wow. Um, I wanted to be a movie maker since I was a little kid. I mean, of course, like everybody, I love Star Wars. Star Wars, I felt, was like made by the gods. You know, it was just there, right? But what was interesting for me was Raiders of the Lost Ark was the movie where I started realizing what a director did. And that in 2001, one of my favorite films. But when I was a kid watching Raiders and I saw the shots and I saw Spielberg the way he edited them and the music, I realized that's what a director did. And that's what I want to do. And so I made movies, little Super 8 movies and movies on VHS. Uh, I made a movie for high school. It was so funny. The movie called Run. I made it for my high school. And uh, I'll never forget, it was the last shot. And I needed all the, all the uh, kids to, to run out this way. And... Uh, Everybody would go to Burger King. Sometimes they ditched class. They go to Burger King. And uh, Mr. Mason, I remember he was our teacher. And he was like, okay, kids, uh, Burger King's on me. And then everybody just flew out the door. And I was like, uh, what about the shot? And I was like, oh, I'll get the shot when they fly out the door. <laughs> you know, so uh, so I love movies. Uh, I, made a, I made a movie called The Real World on VHS. Um, in, in uh, for, for college, I got a scholarship to USC Film School. I went to USC Film School and uh, I interned for John McTiernan and Rennie Harlan. Uh, I just I just love make, making movies. You know, I made my first movie right out of college. I remember going to the my finals in college and even classes there. And I was writing my first script, you know, um, and uh and I made the movie called The Method, and I shot it at USC, where I was, where I went to film school. And uh, Sean Patrick Flannery uh, was great, and he read my script and wanted to do it. And I really credit Sean for for helping me. He put money in my movie, and uh, he was the first guy to say, "Yeah, I want to do this." We had Ryan Phillippe at one point, 
um, it was that was a special time. You know, that was when Quentin Tarantino broke on the scene with Reservoir Dogs, you know, independent cinema, Adam Rifkin and Dark Backward and just all that. And Adam's a you know producer on Willie's. Uh, he and I had become such good friends. And uh, that was a magical time for the movies. You know, uh, Danny Boyle is one of my favorite filmmakers. I remember going to see Train Spotting in L.A. and uh, Quentin's right in front of us, you know, and that was just, you know, that was Miramax's heyday, man, right? Everything you want to go to, Mir you know, and you're making a movie and it's like you're praying you go to Sundance. That's it. You've got to go to Sundance. That's the, that's the mecca, you know, and uh, we went to Slamdance. And I think Slamdance was the second year. Now, I'll never forget showing them my movie and they accepted it right away. I went with my friends, my, the, the DP and all my friends. And uh, we were making homemade posters and posting it all around. The DIY nature of it. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. You know, and uh, I'll never forget. Uh, so that was the year Steven Soderbergh had day trippers. And I don't think Sundance took day trippers. And I believe he was ticked off about that. So it went to it went to slam dance. So I'll never forget we show the method, my movie, and everybody's digging in and stuff. And then here comes Soderbergh walks in and day trippers and leave Schreiber and Parker Posey. And I was like, okay, we're cooked. It's over. But uh uh, but that no, was a great movie. And uh uh Peter Green had a movie there at Slam Dance and I remember going to a party and Julian Moore was there and uh, that was a magical time for independent cinema. It, it was magical, especially as someone who grew up in the nineties, I revisited these movies while I was in my teens and movies like you just mentioned, Reservoir Dogs, Clerks. Clerks it was yeah. a golden age of so much just people coming out of these amazing film schools. And even if you didn't go to film school, there was so much ambition and so much people just wanting to find a way to put their content out there what's the one biggest thing that you take away from your time at usc i made some really good friends usc is a great place to meet people and connections um you know what was really cool was uh my graduation uh spielberg and lucas spoke so they spoke to the whole school because they got honorary degrees so they spoke to the whole school there but then they stayed and they went to the film school and not only did they speak, they handed us our diplomas. And so I remember going up there and of course, you know, George Lucas is like, Oh my gosh. And then Steven Spielberg. And I said, you know, you're the reason I'm here. And, uh, he said, knock him dead kid. And that was just cool. You know? Oh yeah. I bet those things to stick with you. Right. Yeah. And then right after that, you know, I was interning on, uh, for Linda Opst, actually, for she was doing Fisher King, great movie, and uh, she was doing uh, the Barbara Streisand film. Anyways, I was on the Sony lot, and they were shooting Hook, and uh, I mean, it's funny, you know. I did my student films and things like that. Never did a a, a bigger film. This was even before the method, and uh, I, I I go on the set, and immediately I get clocked. They they know who I they like. I don't belong, right? I'm seeing the pirate ship and going, oh my God, right? And I thought, you know, there's you know, thousands of people there. They're not going to know. It's like the first AD or whoever, bam, they knew, you know. But Spielberg came in and I said, oh, Mr. Spielberg, I just was so, you know, you know, want, you know, and he was so gentle and so nice. And he said, you know, we're just 
we're keeping it kind of private now. It was basically saying, get lost, kid, right? But he, he didn't have, he wasn't a jerk. He just said, we're just keeping it kind of private right now. And, and I respected it, you know, and um, just amazing how he dealt with that. Telling me, little, you know, a, basically a nobody, you know, that I'm just like looking and he was just so nice and respectful. That's the kind of guy he is, you know, and like I said, he and George, you know, stayed and gave us diplomas. They didn't, most people wouldn't have done that, you know, and they're just, they're amazing people and amazing filmmakers. And so anyway, so yeah, so that, that was a magical time looking back at all that stuff, you know, going to uh, the biggest thing with my friends, you know, go to the movies on a Friday at noon, be the first ones there or, or go to Westwood. I was at, I was at USC, but we go to Westwood and uh, see the movies, you know, at seven or midnight, you know, and uh, I was just, that was just great. Good times. Now, if I had told film school Kevin that one day he's going to get to work <laughs> on a movie with one of the best actors of all time, Nicolas Cage, what would he say? Well, you'd have to tell film school Kevin a lot of things. You'd have to say uh, it's going to be a hard road. You're going to make a lot of movies. You're going to work on movies that, you know, you give everything to that don't get made, you know, but guess what? You will work with an Oscar winner. You know, you will work with the fabulous Nick Cage. And I'd say, all right, that's cool. I mean, I remember Nick um, Vampire's Kiss, you know, Valley Girl, you know, Rumblefish, man, old school Nick Cage. It, Nick's a genre, Nick's a genre to himself, right? You know? I mean, if we had a blockbuster, it'd be the Nick, Nick Cage and you just put him all there, you know, and it's like, he's amazing. Just a great, great actor, great partner and a great human being. What else can you really ask for, right? So let's dive right into Willy's Wonderland. Let's do it. For everyone listening, the synopsis is as follows. When his car breaks down, a quiet loner agrees to clean an abandoned family fun center in exchange for repairs. He soon finds himself waging war against possessed animatronic mascots while trapped inside Willy's Wonderland. Doesn't get better than that, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. One thing that I love so much about this movie is it's a popcorn movie. It's one of those great movies where you can just sit back, enjoy it. You don't have to worry about any extreme tenant-like plot <laughs> devices or anything. Just enjoy it for what it is. It's a yeah. cocktail of different genres blended together, whether it's your 80s slasher or your modern horror comedy. It's got influences from Five Nights at Freddy, Chuck E. Cheese. And then, of course, Nicolas Cage himself. What attracted you to this project? Everything you said. I mean, you read the script. Gio wrote a great script. And it was, it has hit me. Vintage, you know, I'm, I'm a collector. I love comics. I love Star Wars figures, man. I got, you know, I, I still collect. I got, I got the Hot Toys. I got the Hot <laughs> Toys, baby. You know it. I got the Hot Toys. I got Sideshow. I got the premium format statues. My wife thinks I'm nuts. I'll never forget one time I, uh, I got a I, I got four kids and oldest son. I remember when he was born, and uh, uh, was I was going through a postpartum depression, and and uh, I would get a Lord of the Rings PF of uh, one of the uh, Urukai holding a you know dismembered head, you know, and, and and a sword, and I replaced it with a lamp, you know, and it took her a couple of days, and she finally caught on. I like, that's got to go. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, I, I dig all that stuff. And I saw that in Willie's. I saw, I saw the collectibles. I saw 
I saw just vintage, I saw 80s horror, you know, I just saw, I saw fun, I saw Evil Dead, Evil Dead's one of my favorite movies, Sam Raimi, uh, my favorite director, I love Darren Aronofsky too, I love Darren Aronofsky too, and uh, uh, I love uh, uh, Danny Boyle, you know, all these great guys, they're just, they're just amazing, but I saw it all in that script, you know, what's interesting about that is, Jess, who plays uh, Siren Sarah, she was in an acting class with Geo Parsons. And she's the one that discovered the script. And she brought it to her husband, Jeremy Daniel Davis. And he's the one that brought it to me. Isn't that cool? So it's and, funny how it all circled there, yeah? Yeah. And Jeremy was in an, a film I made uh and i know probably i should i should destroy you know annihilate it on my imdb resume but I, I i don't have the power to do that uh but it was it was malibu spring break and you know i shot that i wrote that script in two days and of course it feels like it when you read you know script and i shot it in nine but i was shot on 35 millimeter and uh you know it was a tna movie and again that was the 80s right with my tutor and all that and uh you know, so I did that little movie, but I met Jeremy there. He was an actor and uh, we were going to work on a scene. And I promised him that we would do this scene. And I was running behind and everything. Like I shot in nine days and uh, I, I, I made good to my word that we were going to improv. We we're going to do a scene. And we did it. And anyways, uh, flash forward. Um, he tells the story a lot better than I do, actually. But uh, flash forward. And uh, he remembered that man. And I ran into him when I was working on another project. He tried to help me on that. And uh, he brought me Willie's, this actor who, you know, I, I put on the scene and now he's a producer, you know, and he brought it to me. It's just a great story, right? You know, it just shows you, you never know, you know, um, if I didn't do Malibu, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and you know, I had fun doing that. I think every, anytime you get behind a camera and, and work, you, you strengthen those muscles, right. You know, and anyway, so he brought the script to me and, um, I loved it. Gio wrote a great unique script and, uh, we partnered up and worked and w there was only one person for the janitor. It was Nick Cage. Absolutely. And it, it's so funny because you took the words right out of my mouth. Nicolas Cage has become like a genre of himself. Like, as you mentioned, his extensive filmography, there's like, you know, Nicolas Cage action, Nicolas Cage drama, romance. To me, I would classify this as like Nicolas Cage unleashed. Yeah. The way he is in this movie, it's just it's just Nicolas Cage at its finest. And what I love the most about the character of the janitor is he's very three-dimensional. It's not your just standard, quiet, mute, psycho killer kind of guy. There's a lot of layers to this character and you can see Nicolas Cage's footprints all over it, whether it's his body language, his facial expressions. He, he owns it. He, re he really, really does. We've talked about how great Nicolas Cage is, but working on a professional shoot with Nicolas Cage. What's that like? And what does Nick bring to the table and his overall presence on set? Oh, man. I mean, it, I got spoiled. You know, he was the best. We didn't have one creative disagreement. We saw the movie eye to eye. He, he, of course, he brought so much. And 
again, again, great partner, great, amazing actor, and a great human being. And that's Nicolas Cage. You know, it was so cool. The last day of his shoot, when we did the big Willie scene and stuff, during lunch, he signed all posters, autographs, everything for the cast and crew during lunch. And he took his time and he signed everyone. The kind of guy Nick is. He's just, you know, I got spoiled. Like I said, you know, um, you, you hear these horror stories working these diva actors. They're out there. I've had my share. You know, everybody has. Uh, not Nick. And he, he is the right that he could, right? I mean, he's done so much, you know what? But that's not, that's not him. It's not him. You know, another thing what's really cool, that night he left. We finished wrapping the final fight of Willie. That was the last thing he did. And I remember him leaving. And he said, he's a producer on this movie. Him and his manager, Mike Nylon. And Mike's great. I mean, he just did a fantastic job. Those guys are solid, both him and uh, Nick and Mike. And he left. But before he left, he said, good luck with your movie. Now, he's a producer on this movie. It's his movie, right? He knows that he's going off to his other adventures. It's like Ghost Rider, man, in the night. You know, he was just going to go. On his bike and just go off. <laughs> yeah. And he, he knew it was our movie. Like, it was the producers of my movie. And he knew, like, good luck with your movie. He wasn't some control freak. You know, I want to, hey, show me the dailies. I need to, you know, no. I mean, there's trust. He had trust. That's the number one you can have with an actor. It's trust and faith. You know, you have to have faith. You have to have faith with the producers. You know, you have to have faith with the with your with your actors and with your crew that, you know, you guys are going on the right course. And as a director, the idea is to, you know, convey the vision and then have these people help you carry out. I can't carry out a singular vision. Movie making is a team sport. It's a team sport. I'm not, you know, if I don't have my DP as my right arm and, you know, my production designer, you know, Dave Newbert, my DP, amazing, amazing. Molly Coffey, you know, my, my, my left arm production designer, you know, uh, uh, Jeremy, the producer, hold, holding up the fort. Like, if I don't have these people, I can't make this movie. So it's a team sport. And we all made this movie together. And I'm, you know, it's really kind of cool, too. Like, when you make a film, you become so close to a crew it's like your second family and i met so many wonderful people you know joe you know our department on this set deck and uh justin and just wonderful people that i consider really close friends and i just cannot wait to get back to make another movie with you know um that can go on and on but the point is that uh it takes a lot it takes it, it takes a lot of people, you know, uh, uh, to make a, a film. And uh, we had a great crew, you know, and they were so excited about the movie. You know, everybody was just pumped. And, you know, you read some of these critic reviews of it. And it's like, you have to have an arrow in your head to like this kind of film. It's like, I got it. Tell me, okay, pal, I got 10 arrows in my head because I like these kind of movies and I want to make these kind of movies. And I don't care. I think now with COVID, and and uh, that's going to go on for a while, we know, and the political landscape. And it's like, we need this, man. This is, 
this is punch pop. This is, you know, seeing these reviews and just seeing how people are digging this. And I watched it four times, you know, and that just makes me so happy. And, and, and it gives me so much energy and, and positivity to carry on because brother movie making is hard and sometimes it's so hard you know with the nose or the this or the that it's like trudging up a mountain and uh jeremy jeremy daniel davis the producer he worked on this movie every day for over two years you know we would have conversations and I'd call him and I'd be like, what can I do? What can I do? And there's times I couldn't do anything. And there's times I could. I got, I did some art, got some artwork done. Uh, conceptual artwork, some keyframes, look of the movie, stuff like that. Now we're in this age where it's, you know, I remember back in the day when I made my first movie, The Method, like I made a trailer for it. And, um, you know, even at that time, and then you know, had AFM and you could make, you know, a poster, you know, and then you get the money for your movie, you know, a poster with Seagal. It's like, oh, you're, you're funded. Right. But then of course people take advantage of that and go buy a home in Hawaii or something, you know? And so that, that model went down. Right. And so, but what we're in now, it's like people really have to see your vision and you have to do something. So what's kind of interesting is we did like a trailer for AFM for Willie's cut different scenes. It was kind of hard too, because didn't you couldn't there, there's not a lot of animatronic movies out there you know so but i thought we did a pretty good job and uh it actually went went over pretty well but uh now you just have to like it's not just the script or the pitch it's like you've got to go the extra mile and show something you know um so and we but we have technology now that, that we can do that which is great some of the things you're saying there is just, I agree with a hundred percent, especially as a viewer watching a movie, it's easy for a critic to say, oh, this movie is comedy slash thriller trying to be something. It's very easy, but it's the beauty of art is it's subjective. What you may not like, I may love. And movies like this, yeah, I love when yeah, you can sit back yeah. and relax and just right. enjoy it for what it is. And, and I think that's sometimes where for so many movies where the, the difference between what critics are saying versus what the audience are saying is it's radically different because not everything has to be viewed in a certain lens that this is Lord of the Rings and you have to view it as this kind of production or anything. What I love about this movie is, again, what you mentioned, the animatronic killers in this movie. I'm, I'm really curious, when you're shooting on set, do you have to treat them as human characters or is it like you have to give them personality is it difficult shooting that where it's a combination of practical and cg so well ken hall created the creatures he did a fantastic job and we had they were okay so we had one suit for each so when the suit was damaged it's over lights out can't go back and uh so we had seven creature suits and ozzy was a puppet Okay, so we have eight creatures, Ozzy the Puppet, seven. And um, I knew that, uh, you know, we, like I said, we, we had one suit, stunt, we had stunt doubles, or stunt doubles, stunt, stunt uh, men and women in the, in the suits. And a shout out to them, because they did an amazing job. And um, each one had a personality already, because you could just see the design of them. and. 
it was fun in post, you know, putting the voices. What's really cool is uh, Emwa, who did the soundtrack, he's the voice of Willie. Oh, wow, no way. Yeah. And what's amazing is in the script, Willie didn't have a voice. He said a couple things, but he, he didn't really talk. And uh, Emwa gave him a voice and he would sing the songs. And it was just like, oh my God, this is Willie. And that's really cool when you find things like that. That was in post. But what's cool about Emwa is that he made that birthday song before we shot the movie. So I had it on set so I could play it. And I knew we had a hit with that because the crew couldn't get it out of their heads. And uh, it was great because it set the tone. Um, he, he put it on a uh, Chuck E. Cheese old commercial. And it was really cool. The first day I met Nick, I was doing wardrobe. And I showed it to him and he loved it. It was just great because it got the vibe of what we were going for. So he was a big contributor to that in terms of bringing them to life because he was the voice of Willie. Like I said, the stunt, the stunt, the guys did great. I mean, all of them, they did wonderful. And then we brought in post other actor, uh, actors um, to do the rest. And, you know, Artie doesn't have a voice and neither does Nighty Night. And it might've been fun to do a Nighty Night voice, you know, um, but we didn't want to get it too uh, muddled, you know? And there really wasn't a reason for 99 maybe to talk. I mean, maybe he could have, but I felt like, especially if he talked like during the beatdown scene, it would have taken away from it. You know, that's all Nick, you know. Um, and the talking is Emwa's soundtrack, which is just epic, you know. Um, and, that, and, and what he did too, like the janitor theme with a bow, 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 you know, that's, that's the talk. That's the yeah, dialogue. The soundtrack is the sound. This is the voice the of Nick Cage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I love that. I'd have to ask you this: as being a big geek myself about movies, when yeah. you're shooting those crazy beatdown scenes where Nicolas Cage is just going absolutely berserk, is it hard to not smile a little when you're behind the camera shooting it? Because you're like, oh, this is Nick Cage just at his finest, is going crazy, and just his acting is just so amazing in this movie. You know, it was my favorite times, and it would happen. I don't know if I was just attuned to it or what, but every time we're going to do a beat down scene, it was like, okay, bring Nick to set. Um, and he would be either maybe just outside the looking at the monitor or whatever. He's not one of these actors that hangs out in his, in his trailer and you call him. I mean, the guy is so amazing that we've got second team in and we're, you know, doing, figuring out the focal length, the lens, the punch pop. And we've got his, you know, uh, uh, his double in, you know, and he's there and he comes in and he's holding the can. You know, he's not like, you know, oh, just call me when you're ready to shoot. I mean, he's holding the can and he does it in one take. That was another thing I loved about him. He said, you know, I said, well, Nick, I, I only can do, you know, two to three takes. I, I, I don't have a lot of time. He goes, well, Kevin, I like to do it in one. I was like, wow, that's badass. Uh, that's the case. So going back to what you're saying, um, one of my favorite, when I was attuned to was, I would hear his boots clomp, 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 clomp to set. 
And I knew it was on. He was ready to go. And I'll tell you, that was one of my favorite moments. And I was like, God, I would love to make another action movie with Nick Cage. It's just, it just gave me that adrenaline and those, those boots. And brother, he was ready to go, you know? So that was really cool. So in shooting it, uh, my DP and I, Dave Newbert, uh, we called it the Rage Cage. Uh, but people like calling it Cage Rage, fine. It should be called Cage Rage. Just aggression, that's yep. just crazy. Just uh... And we did, we shot handheld at like 18 frames per second. We shake the camera and then we would have like people take uh, flashlights into the lens. And it would just give us this otherworldly beat down look, you know? I love, I love Requiem for a Dream. I know it's a hard movie to watch. Brilliant. There's that scene uh, with, I think, Marlon Wayans, and he's in a jail cell. It's when all hell's going, breaking loose, you know? And it's going, <laughs> shaking. And the point where the, where the celluloids, it looks like it's going off the sprocket. <laughs> and I'm yeah, sure maybe that was a digital effect, but that's what I wanted for these fight scenes. I also wanted, I called it the Popeye moment. And the idea of, I would love, I would love to had the punch pop goes down and like you go into the janitor's like body and you see it course through his veins and his muscles. And then you go out and you see his muscles bulge and he's just ready for the beat down. Right. But then they go, you know, I got 20 days. So I'm like, okay, well that's out. That's a CG and that's just not going to happen. But um, I, that's the kind of vibe I wanted, you know? Yeah. So, so anyways, my DP and I, we, we came up with that idea of the 18 frames per second. And, and I think it worked pretty effectively, you know? Lastly, in the topic of this movie, what's the one thing you want audiences to take away? Fun. I, I want them to have a good time, you know? I mean, we could talk about what the janitor represents and what Liv represents and the still, I mean, and you know, we can, I can, we can write an essay about that some, someday, but uh, to me, I want especially now, I mean, uh, uh, I had COVID, I beat it. I was in the hospital for two weeks. Um, this is a really awful time and uh, for people suffering. And uh, also, like I said, with the political landscape, just everything. It just feels like the weight of the world sometimes, you know? And I think we need more movies like Willy's Wonderland. We need more good times, you know? Um, so I want people to have fun. I want people to have a great time. I love people to have watch parties. I got four kids. My two teens had like 30, 30 of their friends on a watch party. It made me so happy. Those are the movies I want to make, you know? Uh, put a smile on people's faces, man. You know, just get them excited. And, uh, and and that's how the crew was when we shot the movie. Everybody was just excited and pumped, you know, and that's that's what I want to do. And I know these critics are saying, you know, you, you, you got to have rocks in your brain to like something like this. Well, and I got rocks in my brain. I don't care. But you said it great. You know, art, it's it's subjective, you know, and I think also I think art, too, you know, it's the test of time. What stands the test of time? I think Willie's will stand the test of time, man. I, I'm not saying it's high art. I'm not, you know, any of that. I'm just saying that I think, you know, this movie, people, you know what would be really cool? 
uh, one of my favorite things would be is if some kid out there saw Willie's Wonderland and uh, it was their Raiders of the Lost Ark to them, like like Raiders to me, meaning they saw the movie and they like they want to make a film, they want to be a director, they want they want to write, they want to get in the arts that inspired them. That would be the best inspiration. Couldn't have said it better myself there, Kevin. As you wrap up here, it is now time for a segment I like to call the final act. Mr. Lewis, we're going to give you 60 seconds to answer 15 rapid fire questions about your likes and your dislikes. Hey, if you go over the 60 seconds, it's all good. The first thing that pops into your mind, are you up for the challenge? I'm up for the challenge. I'm a little nervous but I'm up for the challenge. (laughs) The final act. 60 seconds, 15 questions. Can you beat the clock? And your time starts now. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Watch at theaters or watch at home? Theaters. Last movie you watched at a movie theater? Joker. What's one sequel that's better than the original? Empire Strikes Back. What's the best trilogy of all time not named Star Wars? You know what? I'm going to say Dark Knight. Should Hollywood reboot Back to the Future? No. Favorite horror movie? Evil Dead. Summer or Fall? Summer. Does pineapple belong on pizza? (laughs) Yes, I do like the pineapple, the Canadian bacon. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. Favorite Nicolas Cage movie? Vampire's Kids. Biggest inspiration for Willy's Wonderland? Sam Raimi. And lastly, describe Willy's Wonderland in one word. Bonkers. Bam. There we go. Hey, you got through the 15 questions and I love your honesty in so many of those great answers. I loved it. Kevin, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today and thank you for your contributions to the creative art. I, for one, love this movie. And as you mentioned, I really hope that one day this movie becomes a cult classic and there's some kid out there that's going to reference this as their Harry Potter, their Lord of the Rings. I'm so happy that you're doing so well now. There's a great article on IndieWire right now for everyone listening that wants to read about Kevin's battle with COVID. You really are the janitor. Such an inspiring so article. Cool. I really recommend everyone to go check yeah. that out. Thank you, buddy. There's so much great fighting Thank in there. You. My pleasure. And uh, I wish you all the best in all your future work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for new episodes streaming weekly. Follow the show at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram to keep up with movie news and behind the scenes exclusives. We'll see you next time at the movie. Ahem, on the show.